Hello and welcome to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This week we'll be kicking off season three with episode one, Valar Doharis, Doharis, not quite sure how it's pronounced, but we will dig into this episode written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, directed by Daniel Minahan, right after this. back with season three of the Sound Set Game of Thrones podcast. We are joined this uh, this season. It will be, of course, general editor, general editor, Ricky D. Ricky, welcome to the show. Are you excited to start off the season? Hey, Kay. No, I've never been so nervous to record a podcast my whole entire life. And I record like two to three podcasts a week. Um, <laughs> I think you chose the wrong host, but we'll see how it goes. Of course, I'm Kate Kalsik, the TV editor for Sound on Sight. I will also be joining Ricky in these conversations each week. And we're going to have a floating third guest this week. We are happy to welcome Randy Jankovich. Randy, welcome to the show. Hey, guys, what's going on? So now before we get into the episode in specific, uh, I feel like we should do a couple just brief notes at the top, which are, I have read the first four books and some change, and so I am very familiar with the books. I'm a big fan of the books, and I will not spoil anything in the books as we are discussing this. Why don't uh, Ricky and Randy, you guys give your relationship with the books really quickly. Yeah, I've never read the books. I don't intend on ever reading the books. I just don't have time to read the books. And uh, the only reading I've done of the actual TV series is mostly Simon Howell's reviews over at SoundInside.org because I just, I just love his reviews. I um, I watched the first season on a weekly basis and I was blown away. And that was two years ago. And then the second season I watched in a day. I, I got the uh, the Blu-ray. Uh, box set and I was sick so I just stayed in bed I watched the whole entire thing in a day and I realized that is not a good thing to do with the Game of Thrones TV series because when I watched the first season on a weekly basis I always had those seven days in between each episode to talk about it and therefore became more familiar with the names of the characters and who's related to who and how and with season two I, I you know I, I just marathon marathon the whole entire season in like 10 11 hours whatever it was and um I think it was too much for me to take in. So I'm, I think I'm going to have to go back and rewatch season two. And that's why I'm kind of really nervous about reviewing the the show on a weekly basis with you, Kate. Because I watched last night's uh, season three premiere and I thought it was amazing. But I was like, who the hell are these people? <laughs> well, and that's probably the more standard response for those not incredibly familiar with the books. Because there's a lot of names to keep track of and a lot of people in very similar looking out outfits if you are not used to the look of Westeros as well as facial hair. But before we get more into the season, Randy, what's your relationship with the books? Uh, well, I've read the first two books. Uh, my girlfriend's read all five books and she watches it with me, but I... I try and keep her she doesn't i won't let her tell me anything big that's going on but if i have a question she's usually pretty open so i know a little bit kind of what's being set up here but not i'm not privy to anything that's going to spoil anything for anybody oh my god i need to date someone that's read the books that's what i gotta do <laughs> she read the ball in like two months she plowed right through them well now of course this is something it, it is a very complicated world it's something that they have nobody's really attempted to do on television before something this intricate, I would say. Um, if you guys, if you can think of something else, I guess maybe The Wire has a lot of characters, but still, it's nothing on the scale. Um, and so that can make it interesting to try to follow. I particularly was enjoying your, your confusion on Twitter, Ricky. Um, I highly recommend anybody who enjoys that sort of thing, follow Ricky uh, on Twitter at SoundOnSite. Now, there's been a lot of hype for this season because... Everybody who's read the books, not everybody, but a large portion of the people who have read the books, like myself, love book three. There's a lot of really amazing stuff that's coming. I'm curious for, for let's start with Randy. Uh, was the hype that, that has been coming or going around for the season something that factored into your take on the premiere? And what did you think of it? 
Well, not never, because I've, you know, having read the first two books and watched the first two season premieres, I, you know, I kind of know that the first episode of the season is going to be the most disappointing because they have so many things to revisit and set up and, you know, remind people of, you know, no matter if you watch the second season or not, they still have to return to everything and set everything. You know, this whole first episode is just setting thing up, things up with a couple minor arcs from the book, you know, kind of squeezed in so they can get characters in different locations and the right places for what's to follow. Um, that being said, you know, Game of Thrones is one of the only shows on TV where, you know, a lot of shows have people that are talking to each other for the majority of the time, but Game of Thrones is the only show that can do it without anything going on. You know, two people can be sitting in chairs and it can be the most compelling thing on television, you know, just because of that, you know, the the caliber of actors they have and, you know, the, the text that they're working from. They don't have to they don't have to doctor the text a lot to make it, you know, dramatic or compelling. And I just you know, there's a lot of good conversations in the first episode, and I think that's all you can really ask for. You know, you can't really ask for big character developments or big plot points to be hit on because this stuff has to be set up first. You know, a lot of characters are going to new places, and they have to introduce those new places. And I think, you know, like you said, Game of Thrones is very different in a way <clears throat> in the kind of story that it's trying to tell. So it's a very different kind of TV show you have to watch. Like, The Wire conditions you to watch TV a certain way, and this show kind of conditions you to watch it in a very different way. You have to take things in small clips because that's the only way they can do it. Ricky, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything Randy's saying, except I didn't think it was at all disappointing, the season three uh, premiere. I thought oh, it was I wasn't incredible. disappointed at all. No, I just, this is what you're going to, this is what you'll get with a season premiere. You know, some people with the amount of hype behind it, people could, could be easily disappointed. You know, if you just watch the first two seasons while, you know, it was off air, you know, if you marathon the first two seasons or something and you came into the third season premiere, waited for it, you know, it's not, there's a lot of grandiose things happening, but it's not a lot of movement. And, you know, you, some people might find that disappointing, but I, I expect that with the first episode of the season. So I, I wasn't disappointed at all. Okay, because uh, I, I I personally prefer season one over season two. I haven't read the books, but I, I just felt that season two, there was a lot crammed in, and it just, everything seemed rushed. Uh, for example, now, I'm going to try to remember everyone's names here. Um, Dragon Lady? Daenerys. Daenerys. Okay, so when she visits the greatest city ever built, and she at one point she gets captured, and the some really weird magician guy steals like her dragon eggs and um, that whole sort of like subplot, the way it unfolded and the way it was resolved, it was all a little too rushed for me. And so I just felt like they crammed in way too much into one season. With that being said, I haven't read the books and I still tip my hat off to the writers because I think they're doing a fantastic job because every single character is just so incredibly compelling like interesting fascinating and you know we also do a walking dead podcast and our biggest issue with the walking dead tv series and we say this every week on on our podcast it always boils down to the writing and that's also a tv uh series adapted from well in that case a comic book right and i'm like how come they can't properly adapt the comic book of the walking dead which is far less complicated than the game of thrones world and these guys do just such a fantastic job and you know granted i don't really remember all the names of these characters but that's because like i think if i was reviewing the show on a weekly basis like simon does for us on the website it would help because you know you, you have to jot down the names of characters and refer to like um s scenarios and things that happen within the episode and because you're reviewing it it's easy for you to remember it and also if you have discussions about the show on a weekly basis with with your friends or family or whatever um but when i do watch the show regardless if i know their names or not you know, I I recognize the characters. I remember who they are, how they relate to everyone else. And I'm always 100% invested in the whole entire episode. There's not one episode that I think has been terrible. Season two felt like there was a lot of setup for that huge uh, battle in the last two episodes, which I thought, thought was mind-blowing. I think it was Christopher Smith that directed uh, the last episode, or was it uh, Neil Marshall? Do you, do you mean the ninth episode yeah the second last episode was that a christopher smith or neil marshall i always get those two directors confused that was directed by neil, neil marshall okay so yeah that was directed by neil marshall i thought that was like mind-blowing and the only thing that i can think of that sort of comes close to the world building of game of thrones is lord of the rings 
And that was a film series, right? And now, you know, they've extended it and they're doing the Hobbit movies. But, I mean, this show is in a way groundbreaking. And even now, I don't know if you're watching Vikings. I mean, Vikings is okay. But it pales to comparison to how brilliant Game of Thrones is. Um, I think... I think what you're speaking to when you say that season two wasn't as satisfying, I think it's because the construction of season one where, you know, the big event of season one affects the entire world and everything that's going on there, you know, everything leads up to that moment. While Blackwater really was a really awesome episode, it only, first of all, it didn't really change the status quo to defeat of one person, but it didn't change, you know, where the things were standing at King's Landing, the people in power remained in power. So I so it has a much the the repercussions were much smaller for season two and a lot of season two like once they get into the second half of season two they have to start setting things up for season three because there's so much to set up there so I think that's where you know the dichotomy between the two seasons comes about they have so much to squeeze in in season two and season one they had you know you can see it in the books too because in season one there's a, it everything is focused on what's you know this in contained story that's going on with ned and the um the guy who gets killed before the book starts and all that uh-huh. yeah i i'm actually one of those people who like season two better than season one uh though i do prefer the first book to the second book and i think for me the, yeah, there are various strengths and weaknesses between the first two seasons i think uh really daenerys her storyline in season two was really poorly handled and that yeah, goes down to to the writing as opposed to the performance i don't i don't feel uh any of that blame falls on Emiliana clark uh, amelia clark though she's not fabulous in season two uh, whereas in season one daenerys's storyline was fantastic and very well handled um, but in season two you got jamie and brienne you got uh, a lot of the, those all those wonderful scenes with Arya and tywin so i think uh for for me a lot of a lot of it seems to me that there's a lot of really positive memories of season 1 and people don't necessarily remember how frustrating some of those very early episodes were it took a while to to for the world to really feel as comfortable um as it did later really i didn't think so yeah, and I, I mean i didn't read the book and i i didn't find it at all frustrating that was a common a thing that I at least at least that I was hearing in podcasting and uh, in reviews that that I was seeing around. It's interesting, and that's something that goes into. And you know, every, of course, your your mileage may vary. Everybody's going to have a different, slightly different reaction to this this series. But one of the things that I find very interesting about uh, the show, but specifically this episode, because I do enjoy the third book so much, and uh, is that I have a really hard time in my approach to the series, because I always strive, of course, to to look at it not as just a, a transcription of the book or something like that, but to really appreciate each episode and each season as its own, you know, artistic entity. But when I watched this season premiere, I just, I did not, I was not able to really find my, to separate for myself out the, the moments that we see and the moments that I know are coming. And for the fans of the book, there's so much that's in these scenes that I don't know if is if it's as present or as meaningful to those who haven't read the books. So when we see Daenerys and uh, she's being presented with the Unsullied, I have a, a very uh, anticipatory reaction to those scenes because of some of the things that will be coming or with with Jon Snow uh, beyond the wall or in, and the introduction of, of the giant, which is such a small moment there or any of the number of things that happen over the course of this episode. Uh, for, so for me, this was very much an experience of anticipation and, Oh, that's going to be awesome. And I'm curious if any of that translated for you guys. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I was watching a walking dead and I kept on wishing that I was watching game of Thrones instead. I was just like, there's no dragons. Like there's no giants. Right? <laughs> there's, there's no Daenerys. Right. And Daenerys is actually my favorite character. So I really should learn her name. Um, but I was told that the third book is going to be split into two seasons because it's such a thick book. And so I was also told, and I could be wrong, but I was told that, a bit of elements from the fourth book are going to be interjected into season three and four, but it's going to be focused mostly on the third book. I'm already super excited. When I saw that giant, I'm like, holy shit, game changer. Midget, giant, dragons, three dragons. And um, my biggest problem with, with season two, actually, I think that's why I liked it a little less in season one, because 
Daenerys is my favorite character, I agree with you, Kate. I wasn't completely satisfied with how they handled her story arc. And um, again, I just thought everything was rushed with her character. Uh, This episode, okay, opens up. And this is what I mean about how, like, I think this podcast is kind of going to be kind of good for me, but I don't know if it's going to be good for people listening to me because to me, this is like a learning experience. So I'm trying to figure out who all these people are. So who exactly is the man that is yelling at Peter Dinklage? Is that his dad? Like his legitimate real father? Yes, that is his father, Tywin Tywin? Lannister. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so so his name's Tywin. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so Tywin Lannister, uh, why is he not king? Why is Joffrey king? Because the king, sh- the the line g- went through the Baratheons. Cersei married uh, Robert Baratheon, and uh, Joffrey is Robert's uh, son. <laughs> if you don't know about genetics, um, and uh, Mendel squares and such, and and so that's why Joffrey is king, Be- not through the Lannister bloodline but through the baratheon bloodline okay okay that makes a lot of sense okay so the whole sequence between tywin and his son Tyrion, 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 and tywin mm-hmm. that whole sequence was fantastic like blew me away just the way he delivered his long like just every time he oh my God. murders so, every scene he's in. He's so good. That's yeah, Charles Dance. Charles Dance, yes. He, I actually know the actor's name. <laughs> but Charles <laughs> Dance is amazing the way he delivers his monologues. And I also believe he had a monologue back in season one, too, where he ripped into, like, the Kingslayer. And that, too, was, like, one of the best scenes. Um, that sequence is just mind-blowing. And it, it's not just the delivery and the performance of the two actors, but it's also just the dialogue and the way it's written. And that's, like, the reason why I love Game of Thrones. Like, you would think that I would like Game of Thrones because of the special effects and the dragons. And, I mean, I do, of course, and the giants and whatnot and the great battle sequences. But it's really because of the dialogue and the tension between these these, these characters and the poli- the politics behind it. And, um, and that's a... Prime se- that's a prime reason why I thought season the season three premiere was amazing. Just that monologue alone was better than anything I've seen in The Walking Dead all season long. There's a beast in every man. And it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. I've won every battle, but I'm losing this war. for our family. My enemies think they've destroyed me. They're laughing at me. He would see this country burn if he could be king of the ashes. Why do you want to join us, Jon Snow? I want to be free. I think what you want most of all is to be a hero. Death is coming for everyone and everything. A darkness that will swallow the dawn. We can stop it. You and I. Yeah, I agree. The the scenes we get with Tywin, no matter who he's with, and that's, like I said earlier, that's one of the things I loved about season two was watching Arya with him. But those scenes are always fantastic. And you know, when you look at this cast, it's such a deep cast. So, certain people don't uh, work as well for me, and the big one there is Kit Harington as Jon Snow. But when you put an actor that I am less enamored with in a scene with Kieran Hines... It doesn't really matter that I am not as convinced of Kit Harrington's abilities because Kieran Hines is amazing. And though though that physically he does not resemble the Mance Raider from the books, he's such a good actor that that it, I just it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. And the other big standout for this episode, and I think a really big standout from season two as well, is Marjorie Terrell, the actress in Natalie Dormer and. Uh, Everything that we get from her is wonderful. I love watching Lena Headey play off of her over that that dinner sequence. But that's all material that was not really in the book. The character has been fleshed out a lot more over these this past season and then in this premiere. And I just can't wait to get more with her. Okay, my my mind's racing right now. This is what I want to ask you. Okay, first of all, her performance was fabulous. And I okay now, who is she? <laughs> like, who exactly is she? Well, we don't. We're not supposed to know a whole 
ton about her yet. We know we've heard her uh, father, Mace Tyrell, who I believe was friends with Robert Baratheon when he was king, and he was she was supposed to be married to Renly. Um, Stannis's the brother Stannis kills in season two with the smoke vagina monster that comes and kills him. Um, <laughs> the shadow that, demon, yes. And then she. Um, oh wait, wait, sorry, sorry. Just she was supposed to marry the gay guy. Yes. yes. Okay, yeah. right. She gay too. She's just she has, you know, we don't really know what her plan is, but she's playing the game. She's part of the game here. She right, wants that, to be I, the queen. She was supposed to marry Peter. See, his name was easy to remember. No, no. she was supposed to marry Renly. The guy with the beard, young guy, the gay one. The one who got stabbed by this by the shadow monster. All right, Peter's okay, Peter's the one that, that runs the like uh, brothel. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. This is all making sense now. Yes. Getting everybody's names confused. Okay. So So anyway, he, she is after the battle of Blackwater, she brings her family and apologizes for, you know, siding with the Baratheons and then, you know, basically donates herself to get married to Joffrey. And he accepts that was in the season, season two finale. So now she's playing the starting to play the role. But she should put like she, she, she's playing it like it's brilliant the way she's playing it because she she knows that she wants to win the love of the people and Joffrey does not know how to react to it. But the interesting thing about Joffrey in that scene is I think he's like baffled, fascinated, jealous, and yet I think he's actually starting to like her. I could be wrong, but like the expression on his face, it didn't. It didn't feel like the Joffrey that that we know from previous uh, seasons, where he's just like completely outraged and so upset, and like will like probably thinking he wants to cut off her head, uh, like for example with Stark's uh, daughter. Um, well, she's the only she's the only woman in the world he can't control. He can control his mother. He can control Sansa. He can control anybody in King's Landing. Except for her, right. He reminds I, me in those scenes of Joffrey in season one with Sansa. Yeah, yeah. no. He's almost, he's almost afraid of her in a way. Because she's, she's something he doesn't know. And he's something that he can't put under his you know, thumb and crush like he can do with everything else. Well, but also she, he's, what, 13, 15, something like that? And she's a far more sexual t- figure in, in her both her demeanor but also her her wardrobe and the way she carries herself and so she's just hot there's that too well yeah not, that's yeah <laughs> she's also like extremely mature and educated and well spoken and just she carries herself and people love her and like her and she has like this aura uh it's not like Stark's daughter who you know kind of looks like the kind of girl that would be whipped or that you can walk all over like um i totally agree i think that but i don't know if he if he's scared of her i i I don't think he knows how to handle her and i think he's fascinated by her but i mean i haven't read the books and i i don't know where it's headed but i can actually see this this guy falling in love with her character yeah and meanwhile his mom cersei she just you can tell right away that she just despises her and i think I think it's because she she sees Joffrey's reaction from across that big long ass dinner table, <laughs> but um, I, and I think she knows that he's sort of under her spell, and so I think she's afraid of her and what she can do and the power that she can gain by marrying Joffrey. But I think Joffrey just doesn't realize that, like the um, the repercussions if that happens. Um, so she's a fascinating character. I love her character. Um, I need to see more of her. But there's a lot of characters from season two, like even characters there at the uh, in the season finale of um, of season two that were nowhere in sight that didn't reappear. Um, and I know there's a lot of characters. So there's, there's only so much they could do in one episode. But like, I'm still confused with um, uh, now. Okay, this is where I'm. This is where I'm seriously confused. Is how many Robs are there? Because like, there, there's. I'm assuming it's Rob Stark who is the one that puts his mom in prison? Yes. Okay, so who's the other guy that's hanging around with the pirates and that wants that wanted to sleep with his sister before he knew that it was his sister back in season two? Isn't his name Rob? No, it's Theon. That's Theon Greyjoy, who was a ward to the Starks because Ned had put down the rebellion of the Greyjoy family uh, when he was helping Robert secure the seven... 
uh, kingdoms. And right. Okay. So he's a he's. A, I know he's initially a Greyjoy, but I thought his name was Rob. Those two guys nope. look the same. Okay, There's only so, one Rob. So in this episode, the actual real Rob Stark, he goes back to is that Winterfell? No, that's Harrenhal. No, he goes to Harrenhal. Okay, and is that uh, okay? So okay, fine. That that makes a lot of sense. Yes, it's. It, it's going to take some time for all these details to really settle, I think. And that's why you mentioned there's some of the characters we don't see. I think it was very wise to to give us a week off from Brienne and Arya and Theon, even though Arya and Brienne, especially with the, the, the sort of buddy cop duo of Brienne and Jamie, is one of my absolute favorite things in the entire series. But they're not going to have... If they try to put everybody in this episode, it was, wasn't going to work. I know there are plenty of people who would rather they just had even fewer people per episode and really dove in with those. I'm curious what you guys think about that, but I was totally fine not seeing some of my favorites this week because what we did get from the characters we did get was really, really interesting. Oh, well, you know, after two seasons at this point, I'm willing to trust the showmakers that they know what they're doing now. You know, they've proven it twice that they know, you know, pretty much, you know, they've had a few weak spots here and there that they know how to tell these stories and know how to handle these characters and structure the episodes in a way that while they might not have like a, th- a lot of thematic unity between the stories, they they fit in terms of telling a narrative in a coherent way. You know, I really wanted to see I really wanted to see Arya in this episode. She's my favorite character. And we didn't you know, she had a, she had some big spots in the second season, but then she was there was a lot of times when she was in the background as well. You know, I was a little disappointed about that, but you know, I know that they're going to get to her, so I'm willing to be patient and see what else is going on. Because there's, it's not like they're ever going to run out of interesting things to show us in this world, especially now that, you know, season two, parts of season two was all about starting to tease out the various supernatural things that are starting to come back into play in this world, and I'm really interested to see more of that because that is something that. There isn't a lot of, you know, a little bit in a few spots, but there isn't quite a bit of that in this episode. And that is something that I, you know, I don't know how much they get into it this season, but it feels the way they structured it last season, it feels like it's going to become a bigger part this season. So I'm I'm willing to be patient with them, even though I know they only have 10 episodes and they don't really have a lot of time to do this. I'm, I know they can do it. Well, and one of the things with this season is that, yes, they only have 10 episodes, but they're actually filming 11 episodes worth of material in that they are extending each of the 10 episodes by at least five minutes. And that, cause I noticed, you know, watching this episode, it's about 56 minutes long instead of maybe 50, 52, something that would be more common for an hour long show, even on HBO. And, uh, and those extra five or six minutes, it doesn't seem like that would be very much, but I, I loved every, every second of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I got a question. The actual title of this episode is Valar Dolheris, mm-hmm. which translates to all men must serve. So is that going to be an, uh, a theme for the whole entire season? Because the last episode of season two was titled Valhar Morgulis. Morgulis. I, don't know how pro- I don't know how to pronounce these words. And that translates to all men must die. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, is this whole entire season going to be very political and light on action and war or should we not even talk about that well i might... think that it's that's kind of ingrained in the shows you know that's kind of a general first uh, you know this episode of this title is kind of general because this is that's a main theme of the show you know everybody in this world is always serving something whether it's in service of the throne or in service of the new gods or the old gods of the town they live in or their family, you know, service and death are the two, like the only two constants in this world. You're always going to be serving something or some purpose and you're always going to die. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just reinforcing the idea of the world. Well, and also there, there's an extra thematic element in this episode with that notion as well, because look at who we see. We see Tyrion struck down from his position of leadership to being a position of having to serve the family and being under Tywin again, whereas he had been in, in sort of command, especially at Blackwater. And then you have Jon Snow, who is now in service to Mance Raider. And then you have um, Cersei be seeing her position in the court uh, reduced as Marjorie becomes more and more prominent. She knows that she, her 
influence will diminish as well. And then we even just small moments like with Roz and Shay, who are two women in in service to great men, at least at this point in 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 their journeys. And uh, and and you know, so so I think that really was a specific element of the characters that we see this week. Yes, Brienne, we know, is in service to Lady Catelyn, but when she's off on the road with Jamie, their story is less about being in service and more about other things instead. Yeah, but but there's a huge focus. Well, I'm going to say a huge focus, but there is a focus in this episode on Egret and Jon Snow and their people, and their people don't don't seem to serve anyone. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if their people believe in a God. Like they seem like atheists uh, to the point where when Jon Snow bows down to, I, is it her dad? No, he thinks that that is Mance Raider, but it is not. Okay. Well, he bows down to him and Mance Raider is the King beyond the wall. Okay. So he's called the King beyond the wall. So he, 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 he bows down and the guy like laughs at him. He's like, we don't bow for anyone here. So it seems in that world, like beyond the wall, they don't serve anybody, uh, which I thought was interesting because of what the, the episode title was called. I was just a little confused about that. And also, okay. Now again, I'm confused period. Um, so the episode opens up with uh, Sam mm-hmm. and basically he survives the 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 fist of the first men is the location north of the wall. Okay, so he survives that. Well, there battle. was no battle there. There wasn't really. a battle. The, the season two ends with he just sees you know White Walkers for the first time. Then the season ends and season three picks up right there, and he's running away from them. Okay, well that's what I wanted to ask you: Is there was there a battle, and they just didn't show it, or you're saying there wasn't a battle? No. No. Okay, so there was no battle. Okay, so this is what I'm, that was what I was a bit confused about. Yeah, and I, I don't understand. You guys really, really don't like Jon Snow, and I don't understand why. I think he's one of the most well, fascinating. I love Jon Snow. Well, mostly Kate. I'm talking about Kate and uh, her previous co-hosts, like Michael Waldman and Simon Howell. I really like Jon Snow and the whole Black Watch. Is it the Black Watch or Night Watch? Night's Watch. The Night's Watch. Um, I, those, the, I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say Jon Snow is my favorite character, but I do like... Like, I just love his character, period. Like, I, I, there's just, he's like, out of all the men in the show, he's so incredibly innocent and so sweet and so nice. I mean, I think he's still a virgin, right? He, you know, like, just the way he's awkward around Ygritte and um, there's just something about him. Like, I think it's nice to have that sort of character when you're surrounded by all these, like, uber macho, like, warriors, you know? Which are, which, which is fine. I mean, I think almost every, I don't think there's one character that I dislike on the show, personally. Um, you know, like, I'm a huge fan of the Kingslayer, mm-hmm. uh, Jamie. Uh, I love his character. He's, like, by far one of the best actors in the show, one of the best characters. I actually kind of missed him in this episode because I love his whole, you call it, like, a, a buddy cop combo with the giant lady, whose name I don't know. Brienne. Um, Brienne? Yes. Oh, I love that name. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. Like she, she was actually probably one of my favorite characters from season two. So I, I really am missing her right now. Um, so I, I, I can't wait to get back to those characters. And yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I, I do like Jon Snow, and uh, I like everything beyond the wall. Like I love like, and, and like I don't know. It's also the setting, like the cold winter, and the cinematography, and just the way it looks, and. That to me is like the most fascinating aspects of some of the episodes. It's those locations. Maybe it's not specifically the characters, but it's the locations. Like even in season two, when they're in the woods and they um, sort of discover that there's like these demons in the woods. I don't know who the demons are exactly. They haven't really just, they, they haven't even really mentioned who those characters are or those monsters, right? Like what, what is the deal with that? Are we, did I miss something? Are we going to find out more about it later on in, in, in the season three? Uh, do you mean the children of the forest? The ch- I guess you call them children of the forest. The the, the dead guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, the, like, those are um, the demons. Those are the yeah. Those are whites. Those are uh, the White Walkers. Are, sort of are the generals, and the whites are the this you know the the foot soldiers. Um, so so they we saw them at the end. Uh, I believe. I mean, and this is not knowledge from the book or anything. This I believe that that's they're basically one and the same. Well, because when when he meets up with the king of Beyond the Wall, sorry, I forget his name again, he doesn't really speak their name. Like, 
and I'm like, are they forbidden to speak their name? Like he does, like you know what I mean. He sort of like dances around who he's talking about, like what demons he's talking about, like the, in this case, the whites. Yeah, um, I, I mean, and Randy, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, based on the previous seasons, but I, I think that's just the White Walkers, uh, and the and the whites. I believe the the White Walkers, um, because of course they're dead and then they come back to life, right? So men who have died, like we saw last season. Their eyes turn blue, right? And then they wake up and they start killing you, and they're really hard to kill. Right. Yeah, that's about all we know at this point. That's yeah. as far as they've gone. They haven't. They haven't really those two different groups. They haven't really, you know, they haven't differentiated um, overtly that. connected them together or differentiated between them yet. But yeah. I think we are supposed to assume that they're kind of related in some fashion. You know, similar to what we saw at the beginning of season one. Yeah, that okay. is something we see at the, at the that last shot in season two. You do see both. Well, but but now are the whites the characters that appeared in, in the pilot back in season one, the very first opening sequence? I believe so. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. As far as as far as I know. Yeah. Yes, based on All the knowledge right. we have now. Now the children of the forest are the people who were who lived in the north, uh, not necessarily the north beyond the wall though theoretically there as well, before the first men. So their gods are the gods that the Starks worship. And okay. they're they're just sort of part of the lore. It's sort of like the the lore, the way that the dragons were before Daenerys found some or hatched some. It's a sim- similar kind of thing where it's in the background. So I wasn't quite sure what you meant there. But but yes, that that is... It, it's, it's one of those things where it's such a wonderful tapestry of a world um, there's a great interview with George R. R. Martin that the, one of my favorite podcasts is Geeks On, which is an unfortunately sporadic podcast due to the schedules of the people involved. But they recently, just this past week, uh, republished uh, an interview they did with him at Comic-Con right like the year before Game of Thrones started. And he talked about his writing process in that interview. I highly recommend going to check it out. And he, one of the things he talks about is that, in his opinion, there are engineers and there are gardeners, as far as writers are concerned. Either you you have a, a plan, you structure, you know, you, like an engineer, you take that approach to your storytelling, or you plant a garden and you go play in this area and you work on that and it grows a little bit and then you go over here and you do that. And he self-describes as, as a gardener. And and so that what you end up with with that approach is sometimes there are characters or there are areas where you can tell that that the writer has gotten George R. R. Martin has gotten really interested in them, and then all of a sudden you have this you know, you just keeps diving more and more into a particular world or a character or a setting, and and then eventually you get back to um, the other stuff later. But you know it sort of takes a detour because the the writer's gotten interested in something. And that is, you know, that can be sort of frustrating and that can lead to thousand page long books. Um, but when yeah, you're looking at... the fourth book is basically a thousand page detour from yeah. all I've heard. But when you're mm-hmm. looking at a show like this where, um, and it can, I'm sure it'll be interesting to see how they manage to try to keep adapting the work because of that. When you're looking at a show like this, it gives so much detail there's so much for the, the, the actors, but also the, the set designers and the location scouts to draw from in this book that, that it becomes a very fascinating place to just sort of observe. And to tie mm-hmm. that back in with Jon Snow, the thing, my issue with Jon Snow, I, I really enjoyed the character. And I'm, I would be curious, um, it might compare in, in a way to a lesser extent, Ricky, for you, the way that I so I think I might feel about Jon Snow the way that you felt about Andrea this past season of The Walking Dead, where you really liked her in the comics, and so seeing a less interesting or less nuanced version of her in the TV show is extra frustrating for you. Uh, Jon Snow in the books is is a really fascinating character. Of course, he doesn't talk very much, but in the books you can get his internal monologue because it's a first person point of view storytelling structure and you can't get that the same or the, we haven't gotten that the same way in, in the series and um for for me while I do really enjoy the night's watch and I, I love Samwell and I love these other characters the, to me Jon Snow just feels sullen all the time he always feels like I don't, I don't feel like he's a very nuanced character or that the portrayal is very nuanced at this point and I feel he's supposed to be a badass and and, and I'm saying that not based on the books but not based on the series when we see him, he's he's incredibly young to be uh, a ranger, um, but and yet he's out there kicking butt with uh, with Corrin Halfhand. I don't know. He, it seems like the show wants his, him to be a badass, a, a very actually stereotypical masculine figure, but I don't necessarily believe him 
based on the performance? Well, I think they're working towards a more confident, strong version of Jon Snow, and they just didn't, you know, the second book and the second season, Jon's in it, but it's kind of more about what's going on around him until the very end than actually himself. And I think that's kind of why his character feels like he hasn't grown much from the first season. Like he's still kind of that, you know, chip on his shoulder orphan that he was then who can't doesn't really want to stand up to anybody unless he gets pushed into it. But I think I think, you know, I don't really like I said, I don't, I'm not really I don't really know what's going to happen this season. But it feels like his character's moving in a position where he's going to start becoming more paralleled with the way he is in the book and the stronger character that he becomes in the book. I just don't think there was enough time with him in season two focusing on his character and not, you know, the baby selling around him or getting lost beyond the wall that they had enough time to start, you know, to give him an opportunity to be, you know, a more confident leader. But but, but I think it's established that he is a brave and fierce warrior, despite the fact that, like when you look at him, you wouldn't think it, but that's what I kind of like about it. Like the, the contrast. Like, you know, Why wouldn't you think it looking at well, him? Well, because he's soft-spoken. He's got these like, like, like he's got like boyish looks and, and like these puppy dog eyes. And, um, you know, just the way he, again, the way he acts even around someone like Egret. Um, you know, he seems kind of shy. He seems lost, but that, that doesn't take away from his skill as a fighter. And that's, Kind of why I like his character because he's different than the rest of the warriors in in this uh, in this series. But you know, I'm looking at the wiki page here, guys, and it says that the Battle of the Fists of the First Men was shown off screen, so it did actually take place. I could be, I mean, that's what the wiki page. Well, they didn't, said. you know, we, you know, because they it, didn't have any men. There's no sense that many men died. There, I mean, do you see the one guy with his head in his lap? But you don't hear, you don't really hear much. You just hear wind and stuff. Well, but the thing is, in that scene, when Sam's walking through, like, I don't know, like, that uh, winter landscape, and, like, everything's just white, and he gets attacked by the creature, which I'm not sure if that was a white, I'm not sure what kind of creature that was, and then the direwolf shows up and saves his life, and then all the men show up, I was under the understanding that they just came from a battle. And then they turn to Sam, and are like, did you... Yeah, I guess I can see that. Yeah, and they, they turn to Sam, and they're like... They turn to Sam and then they're like, did you send out the Raven? And he's like, no. And they're like, that's the only job you had to do. And I'm like, poor Sam. You can't do anything right, that guy. (laughs) All he had to do was send out the Ravens. He couldn't do it. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, double head slap to the forehead. Okay. So I think the confusion for me is based on the fact that the, the White Walkers win that fight. And so I didn't get this a sense of that in... The scene that we got at mm-hmm. the beginning of this episode, um, but I suppose you know the I don't know I I I thought it worked just fine in the episode, but I didn't really connect it to that mm-hmm. that sequence yeah. from the book for, for I probably for that reason. Yeah, if you haven't read the book, you may not understand the context. I mean, it's very vague. You know, you just see some blood on people's faces, and they're like, "All right, well, you didn't send out the Raven, so we're screwed. Let's keep going." And then the credits <laughs> kick in. Well, and also in that prologue, the dire wolf is it a ghost? That, no, its name is Ghost. Yeah, that's John Snow's dog. Okay, because I'm just trying to figure out what this means here in the wiki page. So that makes sense. Because that's John Snow's dog. Yep. Well, his dire wolf. Oh, okay, not that, so not a dog. Much bigger. Massive. Creature. Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> dire wolves are supposed to be, you know, rideable by somebody Jon Snow's size. But yeah, the, those dire wolves aren't even full adults yet, right? Yeah, but they're, they've decided they're not going to grow them anymore because they tried to do some CGI effects on it, and, and they've done some tests and decided that it doesn't look believable. It's just it's not a good look for them it's to do that. Be so, expensive as hell, too. Well, yeah, there's that as well, and that's something. The last thing I guess that I'll mention. Um, well, I guess I have two two final things to mention because we should start wrapping up, is that parts of season two, I think, did suffer to some extent based on the budgeting realities of the, the Battle of Blackwater Bay and the fact that they, especially in season one, they planned to have a big battle at the end of the season and then ran out of both time and money. And so instead, Tyrion got knocked out and they skipped the battle. And they in season two, they were very aware that they couldn't possibly cut Blackwater, and so they saved a lot of... They cut budget as wherever they could, and, have you know, there's a lot of interiors in Season 2, for example. 
in order to save up money and time for for the Battle of Blackwater Bay. And I do think there are elements of the second season that, that did feel a little stymied because of that. I'm not... I'm curious because there's n- nothing on the scale... I, you know, I shouldn't even say anything. I'm less concerned about that for season three, and I'm curious if that's something that occur- occurred to you guys watching this season. When we have giants and we have direwolves and we have dragons, are you guys at all concerned at how they're going to manage ten seasons with not much, not a not much expanded budget? I don't know. I mean, most of it is CGI, and the things that they can do nowadays just blows me away. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the video that that shows how they build the world of boardwalk empire like like to the point where the whole entire town is reconstructed digitally like you know what i mean they just shoot in one part of like atlanta or atlantic city wherever the hell it yeah, is they, they shoot, shoot two stories above ground and then everything above two stories is all done on a computer the whole yeah, thing yeah. so i mean i don't know like i said i haven't read the books but from what i've seen so far i'm not honestly worried about it because it's not even the big battle sequence scenes that interest me it's it's just the characters and the yeah the characters and the politics and how they relate to each other and the struggle for power and and um that's what i find interesting about the show like i'll give you an example just going back to my favorite character danny um the thing i like about her character is like for two seasons now we've seen her basically want two things in life she wanted her dragons and she wanted the iron throne right and she's done everything in her power to get back those dragons and now she wants the seven kingdoms and but the thing is she's really good-hearted like she's actually a really nice person <laughs> at least i think she is <laughs> and 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 the thing is so i i i mean she's done some crazy shit but I mean, like in this episode, she is kind of opposed to the way they treat the slaves. And there's been plenty of times in the past where she talks about how, you know, she wants to be the leader that treats her people well. And again, I don't know where it's headed, but I'm really interested to see how low she will stoop to get what she wants, to get the Iron Throne, to get the Seven Kingdoms. Because out of all the quote unquote leaders slash kings who want the throne, uh, she seems to be the, the the good one, right? And so I, and she's also a woman, which which is one thing I like about the show. By the way, I know there's a lot of sex and sex position and nudity and whatnot, but I do like the fact that this show has some really strong, interesting female characters. All um, of them. Yeah, the I, women have the power in this world. Yes, I, I I feel like there's one character who I do not like, but I can't remember who right now. Uh, but yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, they're the ones that are pulling the strings. They're the ones that are, you know, technically not in charge, but in charge. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think the one thing that stood out for me and and Danny's scenes this week is, like you said, how unsettled she is by the state of things. You know, she's always kind of, whenever she hears something something about, um, I noticed this when I was rewatching the first two seasons recently, whenever somebody starts talking about slaves, she really doesn't like that term and she doesn't like when people are treated like slaves. And I was I was really, really in you know focused on her when um, that guy who was being a douchebag in the other in another language um, I don't mm-hmm. know his name Drago? the guy who was in charge no the guy who was in charge of the troops that oh, she's yeah, trying yeah. to buy that and he just walks fun. up to the guy and cuts off the guy's nipple I think I think first of all I think she understood from his tone and his gestures that. He wasn't being the most respectful man in the world. And then when she sees him treat other people in such a disrespectful way, I think she I think she has a problem with that. And I don't and I kind of I'm really curious to see how she's going to get these troops, because I remember at the end of last season, he's um, Jorah told her that they would have enough money to buy a ship. So she has a ship. So we know she doesn't have a lot of money left. And I wouldn't think that these people would be very cheap soldiers to buy. Well, remember that they ransacked all of Karth. And he, and- but he said when they were doing that, she said she asked if it would be enough money to get a ship, and he said, "Yeah, a small one." Okay, but a ship. There's so um, she's got the small ship, so th- that would lead me to assume she doesn't have a ton of cash on hand. Mm-hmm. I'm of course not going to say any spoilers. I will say I think these are very um, canny observations from the two of you, and I think uh, you know Danny's re- relationship with slavery. I think goes back very clearly to the fact that she was sold by her brother Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. fortunately, it worked out well, and she, you know, Drogo treated her with respect and and wooed her, which they kind of they cut they changed that in season one of the series. They changed that first interaction with the two of them, but that worked out very well for her, and she was ended up very happy. But I think that is something she has never forgotten and will never forget, and that really instilled uh, a strong. Uh, a strong morality when it comes to slavery in her and mm-hmm. it's gonna be awesome that's sorry all I, I, I know we have to wrap up but i have a few more things to say okay first of it. all uh i could be wrong but from the first episode my impression of season three is that the most important things that take place or the big events or the most interesting events will take place beyond the wall and i like the new characters that they introduced um, including that guy, uh, I think his name is Tormond Giant Spain, right? Mm-hmm. He's like the ginger bearded dude. Yeah, that guy looks really interesting. Um, so I really am. I'm really interested in what's going to happen beyond the wall. The other thing I would just want to quickly mention is that sequence in which she's um, making the transaction to purchase or not purchase the slaves. I thought was funny as hell, and that's one thing about the uh, <laughs> about the Game of Thrones is this show, unlike some other shows, The Walking Dead, for example, can actually easily put in scenes that are funny. And, and like, it's not, and, and it's, it, the humor, it's kind of like dark humor, you know what I mean? Like, you're laughing at something that's, you know, you're laughing at this guy and the way he's just talking shit about Danny and, like, saying some horrible things about her and also just the way he, like, treats his slaves. But it was so funny that he had this poor lady translating the dialogue and it just works so well having subtitles. Do you really want me to say that? Of course not. (laughs) No, there's lots of humor on on the show. And, you know, we didn't even see somebody like Varys and just watching Littlefinger and Varys go back and forth is always hilarious. Not to mention, of course, Tyrion, who Mm -hmm. gets so much of his power from his wit as well. But no, that's, that's a very, very, uh, accurate observation i would say i and i definitely agree with it that they they managed to find the i mean that that seemed again we, we talked about it already with cersei at the dinner table was hilarious because she's like you are so full of shit marjorie mm-hmm. and he's eating it up yeah i know and also like Tyrion, when he has like the best line in the episode where he's like you must be proud to be as clever as a man whose balls brushed his knees <laughs> just like i don't know what that means but it's funny as hell and again like Tyrion that's why he's like probably everyone's like I mean everybody loves his character it's not just because Peter Dinklage is such an amazing actor but it's because you know his power is his wisdom and his words and there's like it's like it's like this is gonna be a stupid comparison but it's like when you watch the Golden Girls I'm like no one can make his has has witty of a comeback has any one of those ladies right you know what I mean <laughs> um that's one of the reasons why I like that show too it's the dialogue it's their, it's their comeback it's the way they use their words it's like take control of a situation um, and that's what he does. Strange comparison. Sorry. I love the girl and the girls. <laughs> All right. I want to go back about four points back of yours to when you were talking about how the stuff behind, uh, beyond the wall is the most interesting to you. I'm, I'm curious to find out why, because I think there's a, there's a number of interesting characters there, but those groups, whether it's Mance Raiders group or the people that are left of the night's watch trying to get back to the wall, they're so separated from everything else that's going on. I, I, I found I find myself more invested in things like, you know, finally finding out, you know, what the hell Melisandre really is or spending time with Marjorie and finding out what, you know, what her plan is here or how Sansa plans on getting out or what the hell trip Littlefinger's going on. Like, I find those things a lot. I'm invested a lot more in that kind of stuff than what's going on thousands of miles away in an area where I can't even see what's going on you know, three feet in front of the characters most of the time because it's so snowy. I'm not saying those sections are bad at all. I just want to, I'm curious to see why you find those ones, <clears throat> yeah, that's your favorite, like you said, your favorite storyline. Uh, well, three reasons. I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite storyline right now. It's what I'm uh, what I'm hoping will be interesting. Uh, I love the mystery of it because I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea who these people are. And like, even like, like, like the landscape, like you said, you can't even see three feet ahead of you and i just love the mystery and i'm a huge fan of like horror films and genre films and like 
Um, like that's the kind of like dark fantasy I want to see in the show. Not to say that the rest of the show isn't interesting. It is, but we've already seen that for two seasons. So this is kind of like something completely different just in terms of even the way it looks like it, it, it brings me back to the pilot and that very first opening sequence. And that's what sold me on the show right away. I was like, I'm sold. I'm here. That opening sequence was just mind blowing and, and creepy and scary. And, um, and that, that's kind of like why I'm interested in it. I think, um, I think that the real threat to everyone is coming from beyond the walls. At least that's what everyone seems to be saying on the show. Also, look, when is winter coming? <laughs> because they've been saying winter's coming for like three seasons now. And then I was told winter only comes on like book seven. And I'm like, well, what? there's book five. Apparently winter is underway. I haven't I gotten so, there yet. <laughs> if they get to book seven and winter hasn't happened yet, you can't end this book in the middle of winter. I think the way the narrative is structured is that this series ends when winter ends. Up like this is the biggest winner, you know. This winter is when all the shit is going down. So when this winter ends, I think that's when you get the last chapter of the book, the series. I just remembered the lady I don't like in the show, Sansa. Sansa is the Andrea of Game of Thrones. I cannot oh, stand no. her. Sansa was wonderful in season two. She got short end of the stick in the first season. Her character, they kind of struggled to find her character in the first season. I think they got a much better grasp on it. And the second season. Sophie Turner, who plays Sansa, is so fantastic. And, I mean, she that's a character in the books, where, at least for me, reading it. It's one of those, oh, can I just skip this chapter and come back when it's Arya? Because she spends so much of her time. She's she's such a different type of character to somebody like so Arya. Naive. Yeah, exactly. So naive. It's, that's, that's the fault of her in the first season. You're just kind of waiting for her to get horribly raped and murdered. And, oh my God. you know, it, especially in season one. But in season two, I think they really, they did so much with that character. And I came to really love her. We mentioned already that scene with Marjorie Terrell at the end of the second season. I mean, that, that, that little giggle of joy for, that we got from Sansa right after that is one of my favorite moments of that finale. And even of season two, it's such a, wonderful tiny bit of emotion but yeah i mean she's a very internalized character she's forced to have this um facade on so mm -hmm. that she can survive in in joffrey's court but um no i i would disagree with you on that one i don't care about melisandre though so i have at least one i don't care about uh i will i don't care about melisandre either i'm not entirely sure how she's going to play out for the rest of season three but i do have a question about the scene that involves her character the guy that they rescue, the survivor of the battle that was on the ship. Davos Seaworth? Yeah, what's his name? Davos Seaworth. Davos Seaworth. Okay, I just wanted to know his name. Well, I think I want to talk, I wanted to mention Melis. I think the reason I like Melisandre so much is not so much her character herself, but the, the kind of themes and stuff that they're playing with, with her effect that she has on Stannis and the way Stannis views the world and views himself and changes his beliefs to fit this woman. I think it speaks, like you said, it speaks to the strong women on the show and the, the the power that they really have in the world, even when they're not using it. Like she wasn't at she if she was at the Battle of Blackwater, like she says, she could have changed the tide of that whole battle, but she wasn't there. So we don't we haven't even seen how powerful she can be. Well, well, she says that she could have changed yeah. the whole thing, and you know that again, that's nothing from the books. <laughs> In the book, she's not there either. So, mm -hmm. but but she says she could have. I really enjoy Davos. He's one of actually my favorite characters. He's you he's he's the salt of the earth or salt of the sea kind of character. He's not highborn, and he feels very much like an entry point kind of character for the audience. And so I really enjoy him. And so I don't really care for Melisandre, but she does make an, a very interesting counter to Davos and. um there will be more to come with them. Well, the, the thing about Melisandre is I'm confused as to how powerful she is because when she unleashes her, like, shadow demons back in season two, like, I don't understand why she couldn't have killed more people. Or Like, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like her power is somewhat limited. I'm not sure what her limitations are. Uh, but she does have, like, this hypnotic hold on Stannis. And um, I, I, I don't know, like, like... Why can't she do the same to just about everybody? Like, is it like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm confused about how powerful her, or does she just not have interest in anybody else? Like, why can't she just brainwash everyone else to do what her bidding type thing? Like, I don't understand the extent of her power is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you're not supposed to. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more with her. And um, yeah, I, I don't want to say, I don't really remember how much 
uh, about the specifics of the the evil demon shadow baby or whatever uh, mm-hmm. are in we're in the second season, so I don't want to say something if it's a spoiler. So I'm just gonna kind of pause. But there is, of course, obviously there has to be more to come with Melisandre, or they wouldn't have shown her right in this. They wouldn't have decided that they had to go to Davos in this premiere if uh, if if Mel and Melisandre as well if if she wasn't going to become a significant part of the season. So yeah, because it, Davos's journey is like a, takes a little bit longer in the book, doesn't it? That's what I what I gathered. That his his trip to back to uh, where are they Dragonstone? Dragonstone is more of a journey than it kind of is. They kind of truncate it to get him to in prison for whatever's coming between him and Melisandre and Stannis next, right? I was actually surprised that they had as much of that in there as they did. I was very happy to see Salador San again. I very much enjoyed Lucien Masmati. Um, I love him on the number one ladies detective agency, a show I'm now convinced that nobody's ever going to do for the DVD shelf of the Televerse, <laughs> as much as I love it because nobody's seen it. Um, but I very much enjoy that character and also that actor. So I actually was expecting them to truncate it even further, have that scene on the on the cliffs, which, with which king were you following, and then and just show him getting dropped off. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts? I know we, it's a long one, but I think actually, I know Ricky, you're concerned about uh, you know how confused you are about some of this, but I think that really reflects what a lot of the p- people's experience with this show is. It's there's a lot going on. You really feel like you need a cheat sheet, um, and and so I think it's valuable to have that sort of discussion. Well, I think that they should make a cheat sheet or a character sheet for the show. Like I know there's a few cheat sheets, character sheets going around the internet, but they're all like joke sheets. I want to see something like legit, like something that I can look at, you know, before an episode starts and really connect everyone. And I don't know, maybe a fan should do that and like email me. Well, I think that kind of robs the viewer of being able to go back and revisit episodes and re-familiarize themselves with it. And it's kind of cheapens the experience a little bit. Because that's part of the beauty of the show is that it's so dense that you can you can go back and watch an episode of season one and there'll be so many little storylines and characters and character beats that you probably don't even remember at this point, but they're still valid in the world now. Well, I I think I I don't, I'm not, I think the thing is I just, it's just about the names because when, when, you know, when you try to have a discussion about these characters and you can't remember the names, like it's, it's, I don't know. I just, it becomes a little confusing. I'm sure there must be family trees out there with pictures. Mm -hmm. They're in the back of every book too. There's, there's lists of the houses and how they all, well, yeah, but with the actors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm sure, I'm sure there is. So if you're listening and uh, you know of a good resource for, for Ricky or anybody else who's getting a little tangled in all the different names and family ties, uh, please let us know. Please send it, uh, post um, a comment. We'll have a post up for this podcast at soundoutside.org, and we would love to hear from you. Or, of course, you can also reach us all on Twitter. Um, I'm at the Televerse. Ricky? I'm at Sound On Site. Randy? I'm at Process Media. Um, so we, we would love to hear from you guys. Uh, and you can also, if you need a little more length, you can also email either Ricky or myself. I'm at the Televerse. Kate, is that your dire wolf in the background that I hear? That is that is my <laughs> sister's dire wolf, Mr. Rico Suave. <laughs> Very cool. Feedback at soundinsight.org is a good email to reach anyone at Soundinsight, really. Before we wrap up, any final thoughts, anything we didn't mention that you guys want to get in here? I think uh, it had a record number of uh, viewers, I think 4.4 million, which... I know it does not compare to 12.2 million that The Walking Dead had, but uh, it's increased by 1.2 million, I think, from last season. So that's good news. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to know how expensive the show is to make, like one season. And I think it's I, 55 million this season. I think that's the budget. It's 50, 55 million, I believe. I'm guessing they they make back their money just on advertising and DVD sales because I I mean I would like to see the show continue. I don't want it to be like Rome where they decide to cancel the, like you know next season because the budget is just too much. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I think the thing with Rome is that nobody was watching. Um, unfortunately, as great a show that as that is, and this is a show that I mean, I think it's still not as popular with viewers it doesn't get as high ratings as true blood but it's definitely one of their most popular series so i would be surprised if it's going anywhere anytime soon no they've already they've they haven't announced season four but they already have it sounds like they've outlined season four already and it's going to get i mean they could keep increasing the budget of this show it's going to be popular for a while yeah randy any final thoughts um i don't think so i think we covered everything 
I guess the only other thing I thought I would mention is that it appears that Roz took up the spider's offer to work for Varys at the end of season two, because she was said some very, had some very suggestive things to say about her boss to Shay. And I think that's something else we need to pay attention to. I think Varys is going to be doing some things later on this season. Mm-hmm. Yep. It'll be fun. That's another fun character for us to watch out for. Uh, Randy, of course, where can our listeners find you online? We already, you already mentioned Twitter, of course, but where else? Yeah, I um, write about television at my website, Process Media, and I write about TV over at Sound On Site with you guys. Well, and then the little uh, podcasting as well, if you guys want to plug a certain Beats Motel. Yeah, um, actually, I just want to tell our listeners that if you do like our show, give us a rating on iTunes. We actually put all our specialty shows in the same iTunes feed. So basically, right now, we're doing a Bates Motel podcast, the Game of Thrones podcast, which you are currently listening to, and the Walking Dead podcast. And we have some plans to do you know, more shows in the near future, like mostly genre related, right? Fantasy horror type thing. And uh, so, yeah, um, check us out. Give us a rating, please. We are independently owned and uh, we don't have money. And the rating really does help us find or helps new listeners discover us, I guess we can say. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with our take on episode two. Growing fast. Not fast enough. I can't wait that long. (laughs) 